Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer R. Levin, and I'm a traumatic grief therapist and founder of Therapy Heals, where we help organizations and individuals prepare and heal from sudden or unexpected death. And in my podcast, Untethered, Healing the Pain from Sudden Death, I share resources and stories to help you go from the chaos of sudden or unexpected death to move towards healing in your life. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Untethered, Healing the Pain from a Sudden Death. I'm Dr. Jennifer Levin, and I specialize in traumatic death and helping individuals through the struggles, pain, trauma, and chaos of an unexpected death. In my last podcast, I interviewed Joy and Richard Avador, whose 18-year-old daughter, Syra, died by suicide approximately three years ago. In today's interview, I have the opportunity to talk with Syra's sisters, Leah and Taya. Today, they share their memories of the night Syra died and how they coped with their grief early on after their sister's death. We also talk about what it was like for them to return to school, how they dealt with their family and friends and peers, and receive support from their schools. Finally, we explore how Syra's suicide has changed their family, how they honor their sister, and some of the things that have been most healing in their grief experience. Hi, Leah and Taya. I am so glad that you are here today. So uh, why don't you start off and introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Leah. I'm 23 years old. And about a year ago, I graduated from university in California. And I majored in English literature. Uh, Took a gap year, was intending to get my master's in education, but I don't think I'll go back to school. So um, this past year, I've been a one-on-one paraeducator in the school district nearby, and now I'm job hunting to least. Um, But from interests, I love reading, writing, um, listening to podcasts, as you know, Um, and then yeah, that's kind of it. It's summertime, so I've been out at Blake with a bunch of friends, which has been a lot of fun. But yeah, pretty easy going. So a paraeducator just like your mom. Yes, yes, definitely. And I I don't know how she does it. I did my year and now I'm <laughs> time out. <laughs> to say the least. Yes. Okay. Hi, I'm Taya. I'm 18 years old. I am currently a freshman in Edmonds Community College. I am working on my pre-nursing degree and I am currently working at the YMCA as a camp counselor. And I also graduated high school last year at Linwood High School. And some things I like to do is I like to dance, but not like anything specific like hip hop or like ballet. Um, Instead, I like learning K-pop dances. And I really like I enjoy listening to K-pop music as well. And that's really fun. So, yeah, behind the times, because I don't even know what that is. So you'll have to tell me some other time. Yes, (laughs) I will. (laughs) So um, this is actually the first time that I've had uh, two siblings on my podcast. And um, my previous episode was with your mom and dad. Um, And they shared the story of how your sister, um, Syra, died by suicide. 
But um, for the listeners who didn't hear that episode, would you mind um, sharing what happened that night? Um, And this also gives us a chance to hear things from your perspective. And I believe, Taya, you were um, the one that was with your parents that night. It was, we left the house at 6 p.m. that day. And we left because my parents and aunties were going to go to the casino. And then I was going to stay by because they had some kids of their own. And I was just going to babysit them while they went out. So we left at 6. And then we got a text around 7 p.m. while we were driving and it was Leia and Syrah bantering about the names to call dumplings, wontons, or gyoza and my mom even added into the conversation as well um, and then soon we leave that house uh, that we were staying at 11, got home at around midnight and the first thing I wanted to do was immediately go up to Syra because there was a video of one of the kids doing a K-pop dance and I really wanted to show it to her. So my parents went downstairs and I went upstairs to go look for her. I'm like, Syra, oh my gosh. And so I went upstairs and I went to a room, of course, first. Um, She wasn't there, but I saw that her room was clean. Um, but I didn't think much of it. So like I looked around and I, I saw the master bedroom light open. So I go over there and I'm still calling for Syrah. She's not answering. So I, I look into the living room like Syrah. And then I look at the bathroom and I saw the bathroom light was open. And I was like, oh, maybe she's in there. Right. So I go up to the door. I knock. I'm like, sorry, there. And no answer. But I could hear music from the room hear music so I was like okay she has to be in there right and then I knocked nothing and then I turned the knob and the knob was open I was like that's weird and so I opened the door and there she was and then kind of became chaos after that um I didn't cry immediately I was just really in shock and in denial I've Recently at that time, I was watching like these pranks that people do to each other and they're like the extreme bad ones. And I was like, maybe this is one of them. Like, maybe this isn't, this isn't real. This is, this is like a prank. Like she's alive, whatever. But yeah, that's, that's how it was. And my dad came up first and then my mom came up after him. That's how I remember it. Um, was this your um, first experience seeing somebody who had died? Yes, this this was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Leah, when did you get notified about what happened? So to match up with Taya's timeline pretty well, um, it was around midnight. I was actually in California, and my mom, uh, a couple days before, had helped me moved in move into a house that I was going to share with four other girls, um, and I was the first to move in. So I'm alone in a, in a house, uh, like decorating my room or something. And it's around, again, around midnight. And I get a call at midnight from Taya. And I pick up the phone. I'm like, Taya, what's up? And Taya says, she's dead. She's dead. And then hangs up the phone. And so 
after she hung up, I was immediately like, okay, calling back. I called her back. I called my parents, um, panicking because I don't know what that means. Uh, called my older brother, Alon, called Syra, and nobody was answering me at the time. Of the, and so I'm just internally panicking and I call my friend and he lives like five minutes away. And I was like, I'm alone in this house. Like I need somebody to be with me right now because I don't know what is going on. And he comes over and it's maybe like 20 to 30 minutes. We're headed towards his apartment in the car that my mom calls me back to give me the news officially that Syrah was gone um, like 30 minutes later after Taya had called me. But you weren't alone at the time. Yeah. I yeah, I was I made sure immediately, like after Tay had called, that I like couldn't be alone, especially not knowing what was going on. It was good self-care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What do you both remember about that very early stage of what we call traumatic grief? I remember I think I was more focused on my PTSD for the first three couple months. Um, I remember going to grief therapy immediately and helping. She was more of a grief therapist, but also or later we did some PTSD therapy and she helped me break down um, some things to help me cope with the images that I saw. Mm-hmm. And uh even and I remember during that time as well I stayed with my parents room I slept with my parents room for a whole month I was in a separate bed for a whole month before I went back to my old room and I couldn't go in that bathroom for a whole two months kind of um until I could go back in that bathroom again because like every time I like went in the bathroom I immediately started crying and just trauma thing so that's what I remember at the time (laughs) Were you having um, flashbacks and things like that in terms of the trauma? Yes, I I definitely was. And weirdly, it wasn't like her. It was like the building up to it. So like, I remember being alone one week. I think my parents were out one, not one week, one night. They were out one night and I was home alone and I was extremely scared because when I was when I found her I was also alone on that level so it was kind of scary as well trauma is very weird but that's how it is yeah what do you remember Leia about the so uh Taya really dealt with the trauma being the one who found her sister what do you remember about the early stages to be totally honest I I don't really remember much um like yeah I I think it like my brain was so scrambled disoriented I mean the next morning after I had received the news I was on uh, a flight back home immediately Uh, and I remember like just in the beginning like I had my noise canceling headphones and I do not remember my surroundings or anything that was happening especially that same week I got home and then we had the celebration of life, her memorial service. And I I read her eulogy and I do not to this day remember what was inside the eulogy or what I had written because there was just a lot of shock. Yeah. Again, disoriented. 
And then it was only a week after her memorial service, I went back to California. Wow. And the next couple of weeks started school. So again, in the beginning, I was, uh, I think mom just wanted me to get some sense of normalcy, Mm -hmm. go back, um, especially go back to school and just be in a, in a different environment. But it's important now that like, I'm acknowledging, oh no, there's no really normal um, going back after, after losing her. So I think in the first beginning months, I don't, I can't even recall what was happening because I was just too busy operating like on idle, uh, operating on autopilot, like just trying to keep on going. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with your sister, both of you. Me? Okay. Um, uh, Sire and I are middle, middle children. So Alon, <laughs> me, Syra, and then Taya, um, all of our pictures, we were looking at um, baby albums this like past weekend and we're always playmates always matching clothes Taya wasn't born at the time um so the, yeah she was left out a lot of our uh, pictures are because it transitioned to digital at the time uh, when Taya was born but she was always my playmate we're 18 months apart wow. exactly a year and a half so super close we played volleyball together we just we just did things with each other and the four of us have always been close since we were children like I remember some of my earliest memories is like the four of us in a little line helping mom pack groceries <laughs> and the um the cashier would always be like oh your kids are so cute and we're helping her and she's like that's why I had them to help me with my groceries <laughs> and to help me um but with Syra, oh gosh she was just she made us so complete like just her being her whether it's like you know scrunchies on her wrists or her smiling she journaled all the time so we would have like journal sessions together um Taya included but again it was kind of you know our own thing is journaling and she would complain about my journal etc etc just we were we were all so close so that's her um so Sarah and I were roommates almost all the time. It wasn't until like a year before Leia left for college that we actually split rooms and had our own individual rooms. So we were together all the time and that caused a lot of me being her study buddy. I had to do all the flashcards with her. We'd, um, I'd have to listen to her presentation all the time and she took sign language. So I'd had to watch her learn sign language and present to me with her sign language. And then she'd also teach me some sign language as well. And that was really fun. Um, she was also my DD, my designated driver, because during my freshman and sophomore year, we drove each other, she drove me to school. And that was fun as well, because I ended up listening to all of her new music at the time. And she was really into Hamilton when it came out. So all I listened to was Hamilton on the car ride. And I'm like, do you have anything else we want to listen to? And she's like, no, Taya, this is good. You're like, you've got to watch Hamilton. And we actually even ended up watching Hamilton when it came out on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, she would also did, She also bought me drinks. So on her journal, she has this calendar. And she has her spending calendar. And so 
uh, each color went like, oh, this was important, this wasn't important to buy, um, etc. And so she's like, Tia, I'm buying you a drink to make sure that it's important on my spending calendar. So it looks good on my spending calendar. That's only why I'm buying you drinks. I'm like, okay, but I'm just like thinking like, oh, free drinks. Like, that's good, you know? So it was, it was just, she was just my best friend. We just did so much stuff together because we were, she was just next room. She was next door and we were, and we also slept um, in the same room, so. Yeah, super close as well. That sounds pretty amazing to have such wonderful relationships. What was it like to realize that she made a decision to end her life? It was, it was so like, it just blindsided us. Like, I think that none of us saw it coming I mean, of course, like in the aftermath, like you, you can pick up on things, but it's always in the aftermath, right? Like, um, but at the time, um, it was the unimaginable and still to this day is like unimaginable, even though it has happened and it's very real that we lost her, but um, it's so unexpected, so unreal, I can't even, gosh, hand me a thesaurus for all of the things that I can describe it, right? Like there's, um, there was nothing. She was so, she always had everything like set, always right. Like if we procrastinated on something, me, Alana, or Taya, Syra always had it done. Like she was, she was like on it, on it and the best of us. So to have, you know, her decision to end her life, uh, we didn't, again, didn't see it coming. Yeah, it yeah. was really shocking. Super shocking. Yeah, none of us saw the signs because, you know, we just, we didn't think about it. It's not something that we took note of at the time just because we're all so close as well. And because we're so close, we, you know, we think, oh, we know each other so well. But I guess in that part of mental health, it's just something that we didn't know at the time. And yeah, that's why it was extremely so shocking and we didn't even get a note as well. And just that's it's like it just happened. Yeah, yeah. Like, we're all just yeah, it's hard. Mm -hmm. How did her death change your family? So I always I saw this quote that said, uh something uh lost as close as this one can either make or break a family. And for us, it definitely made our family a lot closer. We're definitely more open with each other, especially in mental health. There are times when mom and dad would come through the door and say goodnight, or, oh, how are you doing today? And not saying that they didn't do it before, but it's just more frequent now that she passed away as well. Um, as siblings as well, we got a lot closer. I realized my brother was uh, looking into K-pop to connect with me more, and that was really fun. And even during our group chat, they'd send videos to for us to watch and be like, oh, this was a really good video. And sometimes I'd like shrug it off. <laughs> but nowadays, I actually look at those videos as a way to talk to them as well. So um, we're just 
very considerate with each other. We're open and we're vulnerable. And that's that's something that we didn't have before. And it really connected us together because we lost someone so close to us that no one else would understand except us as a family. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that um, in terms of conversation, there's a lot more um, openness and like Tara said, vulnerability. And these are conversations that, you know, before losing Sire, we would have never had. Um, and whether that is just about, you know, checking in how you're doing versus, oh, how are you really doing? Like today, are you struggling? Are you missing Syra? Um, those are things that are said without hesitation now in terms of us as, as a family. So yes, definitely we've, we've grown closer in that aspect. And what about you as sisters? We've definitely gotten closer as well. We are kind of like our, each other's therapists. So sometimes we take night drives or drives and then Leah will immediately start talking about her and then we just have a whole conversation and we'd even drive a lot further so that we could talk more. Mm -hmm. Even in the parking lot, we just park and talk even more. And mm -hmm. that's it's been really great to have her along with us uh with me during this journey and mm -hmm. definitely wouldn't be anywhere without her yeah. and she's really strong and and is very wise as well oh thanks <laughs> <laughs> um we have a five five year age difference no four four, four. four. Okay. she's turning 19 um in july so i was like oh um but we have a four-year age difference so i think it's also different now that we're a little bit older too having conversation, talking about Sarah and other, you know, more sensitive topics. We've grown closer. And we're also, we're also roommates because during my gap year when I was working um, at the elementary, yeah, we were, we're roommates. And that was a little bit of whiplash for me from going four years, you know, in college and being on my own in California. But I, again, it's just only made us grow closer and and just as close with our older brother too. Like it's, we're not, for the three of us, we're not going anywhere anytime soon with, e, with each other. So, yeah. That is so wonderful to hear. I mean, I don't really like the, I mean, it's hard to say the word silver linings in something like this, but you know, there are times when there are positive things as a result of a trauma. And of course we give anything not to have this trauma happen and to have Syrah back. But if something really positive does come out of it, it's nice to acknowledge it. Yes. So, yeah. What have you noticed about how your parents grieved or how their relationship changed as a result of your sister's death? So for me, since I was the one home, I definitely saw a lot. Um, I was definitely there with my parents and saw a good amount. So the good thing is they always are together. Like as a result of Sarah's passing, they are together. They now watch TV shows and movies before they sleep. And they are always trying to be on the same, same wavelength when watching TV show. Like, oh, you did that episode. I'm gonna watch this episode, etc. Um, they did the suicide prevention together. They 
did the support seven group with companioning with people that have lost someone together. They're just together. <laughs> um, inseparable. Inseparable. Yeah. yeah. But um, also as a negative though, they um, in the beginning, uh, three months after Sarah passed away, our grandpa passed away as well. And my dad left to go to Guam to help with my grandma that was there. And during that time, they that separation made them um, kind of fall apart a little bit. Um, they saw some flaws in their marriage, especially my mom was thinking about marriage at the time. And that was really difficult for them. But like I said, that is a result as Cyrus passing and there are good and some bad things. And as us kids and as older, actually older adults, you know, we're there to support them, but also we see when it is happening and we talk about it as well, um, what they're doing together and what they're doing apart. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, things about our parents that I guess are different, changed and the way they grieve. Um, I'll go individually for um, our dad. He's He's a lot gentler now. Like um so much more gentle and not that he wasn't in the past but I think in regards specifically to approaching topics like mental health suicide etc um, there is a certain openness about him that wasn't there before losing Sarah that is a huge change um it's the way he talks it's the way that um he approaches conversation it, it's just different. It's different. And we feel more open to him too, because, because of that, because he's taken some time to relearn um, different things and things that, you know, we weren't brought up with, but maybe that he was. And that's, that's been um, a huge change in his grieving process. And as for our mother, she's always been gentle. She's always been empathetic. Um, but she just lets herself cry. I think that's something that I've I've taken away personally is that she just whatever it's you know emotion she's experiencing, she just lets it. And so that has been something, at least for my grieving process, I've been like, oh wow, maybe I need to I need to model a little something <laughs> after her um for that. But they've also gone back to um therapy or they did therapy in the beginning stages and continue to have healthy coping mechanisms, which I'm like, again, models, models for us. I'm like amazing role models. Yes. Yes. There's really no guidebook for this. I mean, people have written them, right. but everybody still has to find their own way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, wow. So I know you were both in school, um, different schools, uh, when your sister died, what was it like when you went back to school? Did you share what happened with friends, professors? Um, for me, because I went back to out of state, friends knew. Um, all, all of my friends knew. It wasn't It wasn't a secret um, because the Cyrus Celebration of Life Memorial Service was uh, posted on our social media. So yeah, I had friends tuning in from out of state, you know, friends flying in to attend, which 
very grateful for them. But going back to school, there was my professors knew and early on, my mom was like, you should probably contact them and let them know, hey, you know, you just lost your sister. And they were receptive, supportive. I wouldn't have finished school without them and their accommodations. But as for friends, there wasn't necessarily, I would say, um, a stigma or resistance to the way Sarah died specifically by suicide. But I think just a lack of knowing how to approach me and how to start a conversation because I think internally I was like just ask just ask me how I'm doing but not the general how are you right I'm not doing I'm not doing so hot (laughs) but um like just ask me how I'm how I'm feeling and I think that a lot of my my friends who are more familiar here in Washington my senior year of high school we lost um two two boys from sudden death um, my senior year of high school. So my friends here a little bit more familiar with grief and just talking. Yeah. Discussing, you know, discussing death and grief. But my friends in California, again, they didn't really know how to broach the subject. And I didn't really know how to bring it up. So we we're at a standstill. Uh, and obviously with time, that's changed significantly. I'm way more open with them. But at the time, I was like, I don't know. I, I can't talk about this because I felt really isolated that I didn't have anybody to talk about it with. Yeah. For me, uh, it's two separate. So I went to Running Start. And if you don't know what Running Start is, it's going to college classes and getting high school and college credit. And so for me, I did part-time Running Start. So I had two high school and then two college classes and so college side um it was hard because this was my first time in running start as a junior and I didn't know what was going on and so it hit me when I realized I wasn't turning in assignments on time and wasn't doing them like I usually did where I went to my mom I was crying to her I was like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm I'm missing assignments and I don't know why. And she's like, you have to email your professors. And that was like the first time I've emailed a professor about my um my loss. And they were really supportive. But on the high school side, everyone knew because of volleyball. Um, and so I didn't really have to, you know, talk about it or mention it to anyone. People just already knew. And Um, I think people avoided it as well because they didn't want to bring up anything bad or I think people didn't want to bring up, you know, the possibility of bad memories or, you know, there's always a question like, I don't know if they want to talk about it as a person um, asking another one that lost a person to suicide. So there's back and forth and because of also the pandemic it was really isolating and lonely because I didn't have my roommate Mm -hmm. and then um we were all online like all online and that was yeah it was difficult what are some of the ways your family has honored or remembered your sister Ooh, um some ways or some ways that our family has honored her, my dad specifically, is every summer, now going on three summers, um, he always plants sunflowers in our We talked about that. 
talks about yeah. that. Yeah. It. It's his, um, <laughs> it's his uh, <laughs> pride and joy. Yep. <laughs> and, and so is my mother. So they, they do it together. They um, plant some flowers and gosh, they're, they're always so beautiful when they bloom. But Sarah's favorite, again, favorite flowers, sunflowers. So that's something that they do to honor her. As for us, we all got a tattoo um, out of her journal because she used to draw all the time. Again, had bullet journal a lot, had all these spreads, which are beautiful, again, you know, looking through them. And so all of us took an image out of her drawings and got it tattooed. Like I have a tulip. Um, Alon has a koi fish. Dad has a, a sunflower Polaroid. Mom has a Monstera. And then Taya has a cherry blossom branch with the Spirited Away Studio Ghibli um, character on it. So that's another way that we honor her. And we always honor her in our own, you know, individual ways. Like for me, I have a playlist that's full of music um, that she would have liked um, or that what I think she would have liked. So, and it's called like fonts that you would enjoy, not even songs, fonts specifically, because whenever we would go to the movies and stuff, she would uh, like the title card shows up in the beginning of the movie. And she would either turn to us and be like, that is such a nice font that fits the movie exactly. Or that is the ugliest font I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. So either or, but it's all music that like she would have enjoyed. Like the Olivia Rodrigo album, the Sour album, it's all uh -huh. there. Um, a bunch of other things. We, we've always seen Mac Ayers, another artist, her favorite artist. We've seen him in concert twice now and he just came out with a new album. So yeah, definitely a way to honor her for sure. Yeah. Another way our family honors her. So something, if you don't know, Sarah took an environmental science class in high school that like changed her way she sees the world. And so as a result of that, she would talk to us about what she learned in class. And then she also watched documentaries about fast fashion, about food, and she became pescatarian, which is only eating fish and vegetables and then soon enough became vegetarian um so when she passed uh we have a jar of metal and glass straws and we now compost and recycle as well yeah. and then another way is we always eat her favorite food on her birthday which is lasagna she loves lasagna and what do you make Leo? I make like a vegan chocolate cupcakes. They're actually really delicious. I'm I'm allergic to dairy, so I don't know if there's like a comparison between like dairy cupcakes. Obviously, they're very different, but I'll make the chocolate cupcakes that Syra really likes on her birthday. Oh, lovely. Um, yeah, it's cute. And on her um anniversary, her passing anniversary, we'd always visit her as a whole family. Mm -hmm. And even last year, she turned 21. She would have been 21 last year. So we all drank shots, except for me. We all drank shots um at her uh grave. And even our uncle came along and did one with us. And that was really nice. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't do a lot to honor her, but I always, whenever I see a little hello and a hello, hello is you see a sunflower just randomly and you think of her and it's maybe in an inconvenient or convenient way to know that, oh, she's, she's saying hi to us in heaven. She's, she's saying that she's okay. 
And so all the time I see those signs and I'm like, oh, that's Syra telling me that she's doing good mm-hmm. and that she's um, she's with God. So, yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, what helped you most in your grief and moving you towards healing? Mm. You're going to start me. Okay, I'll start. Um, I guess people always say this, but time, now that it's been almost three years, um, the grief is still palpable, but it's it's tolerable. I mean, again, three years at, at in the beginning, it was like, I don't know if I can make this, like make it through this. This is not, this is not what I had planned for my life. This is not what I planned for Syra. This is not... Um, but of course plans change, uh, but time has definitely been on, on my side. And then also exercise in the beginning stages, specifically around the neighborhood that I lived in at university. I would always go for a walk every day and it would range from like a walk to like six miles. It didn't matter. I was just out and my body was telling me you need to some, you need to get something out and therefore like maybe maybe go for a walk clear your head a lot of journaling journaling definitely has helped with the grief and just having conversation with people that you love who also love Syra and even if they didn't know her um like knowing that they love you and are here to support you those conversations really important in the beginning and still are Therapy has helped me a lot. It definitely would not be anywhere without therapy. It taught me how to deal with the guilt or the regret that I experienced. And it helped me understand it and cope with it. Um, and it helped and it they broke it down for me to where I can understand it as well. And like Leah said, having someone to talk to about it was um, really helpful because it's kind of a weight off your chest when someone carries that burden with you. Mm. Um, And surrounding myself with good people and being with family has always been very helpful as well. So, yeah. That's great. So the final question that I ask everybody is what advice would you give to other young people like yourselves who are, you know, have a sibling who's just died by suicide and are just getting started? What would you tell them right now? My, I was thinking about this question and I just went with just take care of yourself. Please take care of yourself. It's going to be hard and there's like Leah said you don't plan for it at all and the journey is going to have a ton of obstacles in it so with that just take care of yourself do things that you love do self-care do go out and honor them as well when you go out and be kind to yourself please be kind to yourself because you are really going through a hard time and what you are feeling is valid. It really is valid. And yeah. Um, 
as for me, I mean, there's no, there's no shortcuts. There's mm-hmm. no, there's no tips or tricks to shorten your grief timeline. If that is something on your mind, um, this is something that we have to, you know, grieve with for the rest of our lives. And just know that, you know, me, Taya, and just our family, we love you, whoever, you know, has lost a sibling, because it is, this person was so important to you, whatever your relationship was, whether it was complicated or straightforward, it doesn't matter. They were a part of you and a part of your life and a part of all the, all the dreams you had for the two of you. And that is something that is very um, important and very hard to even reconcile or think about. So like Taya said, take care of yourself, give yourself all the grace in the world. Like during university or even these past couple of years, it's it's been a, could I have done more? Could I have, et cetera, what ifs, what ifs always go through our minds, but let yourself feel a certain let yourself feel whatever emotion is like going through your body and don't resist it. Like it's okay. It's okay to feel a certain way about somebody that you love. And again, somebody that was important to you and who you are. Um, yeah. Give yourself grace as a little bit of a tangent, but uh, most importantly, yeah. Give yourself grace and mm-hmm. know that even though we don't know you, we're thinking about you for yes. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ladies, that's so wonderful and beautiful and heartfelt, I can tell from both of you. It has been such a pleasure to have this conversation with you. And um, you have no idea how much what you had to say today is going to help other young people who just are lost after, you know, experiencing the death of another sibling. Um, and just don't know where to go and where to start. So I can't thank you enough. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So it was a pleasure. When someone decides to end their life by suicide, their decision impacts and devastates the lives of so many people. But the pain and grief that accompanies a suicide changes an individual but it destabilizes and forever alters the family unit where the suicide occurred. Some families are destroyed and never recover after one of their members decides to end their life. Other families, such as the Abador family, engage in the painstaking, continual process of confronting their grief, restabilizing, and growing stronger. Today, Leah and Taya shared their stories and experiences after their sister's suicide. Taya, who first discovered her sister when their family came home from the evening, shared a bit about her trauma response and some of the post-traumatic stress symptoms she experienced. Leah and Taya both stated they were blindsided by their sister's decision to end her life. Taya even remarked, we thought we knew each other so well. The sisters shared that exercise, therapy, journaling, talking about their feelings, and surrounding themselves with friends were beneficial coping mechanisms 
for them early in their grief experiences. Leah and Taya were both in school when their sister died. Listening to them describe their experiences returning to school after her death highlights how much help our society and culture needs so that we can better support one another when we are grieving. There is so much discomfort, whether we're in school, in the workplace, or in society at large, when it comes to talking about death and grief, especially when it comes to suicide. We just don't know what to say, what to ask, or how to just be when someone is grieving. Unfortunately, so many people choose not to say anything at all or keep their distance from someone who is in the midst of grief. Of course, there are exceptions, many of them, and there are wonderful people and organizations that know how to provide support, emotional comfort, and presence during grief and suicide. But many times it means you, as the griever, need to ask for what you need during the time when you feel most vulnerable. Leah and Taya shared how they did eventually receive support and accommodations from their school and instructors, but they had to reach out. In my experiences, schools will be very accommodating, but you need to let them know the circumstances. And this is especially applicable for someone going to college or who is grieving in a large community where everyone is not aware of your circumstances. In my interviews with the Abador family, we were so fortunate to get the perspective of both Richard and Joy, Cyrus' parents, and Leah and Taya, Cyrus' sisters. Although Cyrus' brother did not participate, we saw her parents and sisters agree and expand upon how their family has changed and grown stronger after Cyrus' death. The family all shared how they're able to communicate at a deeper level show their vulnerabilities, and be present with one another in new ways. I also found it interesting to hear Richard and Joy's daughters comment on how grief has changed them as parents and as people. The Abador family is committed to honoring Syrah as a family unit and in their individual, unique ways that are meaningful and allow them to stay connected to her and help with their healing. I know many of you have already seen the pictures in our Facebook group of Cyrus Sunflower Garden. I was introduced to this family and I've had the pleasure to get to know Richard, Joy, Leah, and Taya through our mutual volunteer efforts with the Grief Companioning Project in South Sonomish County in Washington State. The Abador family has participated in the training program to be companions and lead groups to provide supportive guidance to others who have also suffered the sudden or violent death of a loved one. I know their willingness to talk about their experiences and support others has made a huge impact of the lives of many other people living with similar grief and pain. The family has also shared that their volunteer work has been a valuable part of their healing process as well. We cannot survive, cope, or begin the lifelong process of healing from the death of a loved one from suicide by ourselves. 
Families need love, support, and patience with one another during their grief. And the individuals within the family system, they each need their own set of resources and guidance as well. Schools, workplaces, and societies at large still struggle with how to best support grievers, especially grief from suicide. To borrow from a well-known phrase, it takes more than a village. After suicide, it is so important to take the time you need to process the overwhelming feelings and emotions that accompany the death of your loved one. Take care of yourself. Express your feelings. Seek out those who can and will understand your pain. There are people and resources to know how to listen and be if you just seek them out. Thank you so much to Leah and Taya for sharing today. It was so important to hear your voices and how your sister's death impacted you as young adults in addition to your parents. It was such a gift to have two interviews from the same family. Suicide impacts the entire family. I'm so grateful to the entire Abador family for allowing their story to be public and their desire to prevent suicide. As September and Suicide Prevention Month draws to a close, our efforts to prevent suicide does not and will not end. Please be familiar with the risk factors associated with suicide. And remember that suicide can and does occur even when someone does not appear to have any risk factors or display any signs of distress. If you or someone you love is feeling suicidal or in need of crisis support, text or call Lifeline 24-7 at 988 to speak with a counselor. You can also visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention website at AFSP.org. Thank you so much for joining today's episode of Untethered, Healing the Pain After a Sudden Death. Our podcast will be dark in the month of October, and our next podcast interview will be Wednesday, November 15th and will feature Megan Royerden Jorvis, a traumatic grief therapist on the East Coast who shares her personal and professional experiences in sudden and unexpected grief. To learn more about hope and guidance after a sudden or unexpected death, please visit therapyheals.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter, Guidance and Grief, at www therapyheals.com. Bye for now. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. For guidance and hope with unexpected or sudden death, please visit my website, www.therapyheals.com to learn more about the services we offer. If you would like to share your story on our podcast, in service of helping others heal after a sudden or unexpected death, please email us at info at therapyheals.com.